let's go ahead and get started. So happy Wednesday, everybody. My name is Tracy Carter. I am the Dean of Community and Wellness, and we realize how busy your days are, and we're so happy that you took some time out of your evening to join us. I'm really excited to bring you uh, part two in our three-part series. And as I said on our first Paranet event, we are clear in our commitment to challenge, cherish, and know our students. We care about the whole child. As our mission statement says, we challenge motivated students to develop their full potential. Students are motivated in a different way. Today, we focus on the cherished component of our Parent Ed series. I am very excited about our guests that have joined us tonight to be on the panel. Um, we have Sherry Brown, who is our Dean of Students and an English teacher. We have Paul Kim, who is the Equity Task Force Interim Chair, and he's also a Humanities teacher. We have Troy Eason, Dean of Students and Math teacher, and Father Nate Bostain, our Head Chaplain. And I said this morning, uh, well, at lunchtime when we did it, I've always pretended uh, that I wanted to have another career and be uh, Oprah. So tonight I get to uh, pretend and ask questions of our panel, which is going to be a lot of fun. It's just a casual uh, conversation. If you have questions that you want to ask, you can put them in the chat uh, box. If you don't know where the chat box is, if you just hover over at the very bottom of your screen, you'll see the chat and you can put that in there. It will go um, only to me this evening. So if y'all are ready, let's get started. Sherry, I'm going to start with you. Something that I know uh, about you is your passion in developing student leaders. One of the first areas that was clear to you that needed revamping was student government. Can you tell us a little bit about how that process went? Sure. So last fall, um, and when I took on the role of Dean of Students for the upper school, it seemed pretty clear to me that our student government structure had been kind of stagnated and was ineffective. And so I was tempted to just redo it and say, hey, students, here's the new structure. This is what we're changing. But that might have been the easy approach, but it wouldn't have been very student-centered. So I sort of backed up and get, gathered together student voice through advisory meetings. We did online surveys. I invited students to stop by my office and just chat with me. And through all of those different ways of hearing from students, what I was hearing a lot were students saying, why are you even asking us this? Nothing's going to change, um, which was really disheartening, but also uh, sort of drove home to me that this was an opportunity. And in fact, not just an opportunity, but, you know, more of a mandate, right, that we needed to do something to elevate student voice in sort of a formal way. So the students that were interested, um, I asked them to join an ad hoc committee with students from grades nine through 12. And we talked about um, how we could improve the way students are involved as leaders on campus. And we looked at the uh, information from what feedback we'd gotten from the student body, as well as what other, other uh, schools were doing. And then the students invited faculty members to join the committee as well. And so at the end of the day, uh, we ended up restructuring our entire student government. We now have a student parliament, which is made up of juniors and seniors that are elected by the entire upper school. We have the class officers that are elected by their classes. And we also have some student committees, which are students who they sort of self-select and they go through an application process 
And the students on those committees are from, from grades uh, nine through 12. And so through a, through a structure that the students themselves created, it has given them a process to be involved in every aspect of the TMI community and to really develop um, their leadership skills with that kind of support and that, that we now have in place for them. So as that new structure came about from student parliament and student government, um, did that lead to any new changes? Um, yeah, so um, I think the most significant change is what's happened with the student committees. That was really new for us. And uh, in particular, the student policy committee has been really sort of a surprise for me. Um, when students wanted to form that committee, I was really concerned that we would have um, an organization where students sort of complained about procedures and policies they didn't really like, but didn't have anything constructive to offer, and then would feel disenfranchised because nothing changed. But um, that couldn't be further from the truth. This committee that is led by Troy Griffith has been um, really amazing in developing their leadership skills, taking initiative, building consensus. Um, so what they do is they look at the policies and procedures and then focus on some that they think could be improved, come up with solutions and then meet with administration. Um, about a week or two ago, I met with this group and they had some processes that they felt like could be improved. And, you know, I think this is a real risk. I mean, they are confronting an administrator and saying, yeah, your, your procedure doesn't really work and we have a better idea. Um, and that, that, that's a really, I think, uh, brave, courageous thing to do. But what was so impressive to me is they came in in this spirit of collaboration, not you know with a list of demands. So they came in and said, hey, there's this procedure that we don't think it works really well. Here are some solutions we've come up with. And not only did they have one solution, they had several. Um, and I think it was really humble of them to know that their top solution might not work because there are things they don't know uh, about you know, the community. And so they said, this is kind of what we'd like to see, but there's some other options as well. And so through that, we were able to already, we've already implemented some of their suggestions. And I'm just really proud of these students. And I'm also really proud of TMI for providing a safe, nurturing place where the students can take risks, grow their leadership skills, and be agents for positive change. So that is one thing that I would point out as being something really exciting. You know, it's it's interesting because you, I would venture to say every single person on this call who's taken the time to be a part of it would say that, you know, TMI is the best school that there is. And so many of our students have been met with challenges that we would never as, as their parents thought they would go through. And so, you know, even some of us struggle with it. So the fact that um, all of these changes have taken place and there's been such a positive uh, outcome from them. And I mean, obviously the life skills that they're getting from doing this, but that's just, that's really neat that um, even in what seems like sometimes gloomy times, you know, our kids step up to the plate and, and want to do better. So that's really great. I'm glad that's happening for you. I'm going to move over to Paul Kim. Hey, Paul, you've been here for about four months now and as interim chair of the Equity Task Force. Tell us a little bit about um, what you've been up to. Thanks, Tracy, and good evening to everyone. Um, hopefully my internet connection is not as unstable as my computer has told me it is. But um, during the past couple of months, we've spent a lot of time 
uh, just trying to listen and learn. Um, I've also done some work in terms of like trying to create a little bit of policy and a little bit of common language for the, for the school to operate on. But um, we spent a lot of time, you know, really trying to engage in deep conversation with students, with faculty, of course, um, with parents um, and uh, with alumni as well. Just hearing stories about their experiences um, during their time at TMI Episcopal um, and, you know, trying to uh, sort of put all of that in, in a context um, to understand what the equity needs at the school might be. Um, we don't, we're trying, I'm trying very hard to come into this very open. I don't have any sort of prescription about what needs to happen as a, as a new member of, of the school community and, and San Antonio as well. Um, but around that, you know, we, we have seen a need for there to be some common understanding and common language. Um, so Tracy, if you want to uh, post the definition of equity, um, our sort of working definition of equity in the chat. Um, funny story about this is when we were first um, reaching out to alumni to uh, have a conversation with them and talk about their experiences over the years, one of the alumni thought that we were actually talking about financial equity and they thought that we were going to start some sort of like financial, I don't know, investment task force or something like that. So we had to sort of correct them and and, and help them understand that we were talking about, you know, improving the in line with the school's mission, um, improving uh, student experience so that that uh, their experiences had more fairness in them. And as you see in the definition, um, so, so that every student had the ability to reach their their full uh, potential. Um, during their time at TMI Episcopal. Um, so just a lot of listening and learning and some writing and um, trying to, you know, over time map out a path forward for us. And Paul, I know you remember we had a, I think our first call was with our alumni and then we had a parent call. And um, the thing that I would say kudos to you and, and your group that you're working with is that um, I know our, our alumnus, alumni felt this way, and I certainly did as well, as I felt very like safe in um, things that I wanted to ask or things I questioned. And so I'm really glad that uh, we have this task force, and I look forward to um, more things that can happen based on um, your committee and and you know, our students and everybody involved. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I'm going to go over to Nate, Father Nate. Mm -hmm. So you have seen hundreds and hundreds, I probably should say thousands, but we'll say hundreds and hundreds of chapel talks while you've been chaplain at TMI. Talk to us a little bit about what that program means. You know, thank you for asking, Tracy. Uh, I would like to try to tie in the senior chapel talk program first and foremost uh, to to the equity work that we're doing. One of the cool tie-ins there that may not be immediate, immediately obvious is that with chapel talk program, every senior has equity in sharing their voice and their unique experiences here at TMI. And we talk about developing uh, their full potential in service and leadership. Well, it's a uh, the senior chapel talk program is a culmination of celebrating how they've attained their full potential at this point in life to live into uh, who, who God made them to be. It's really the culmination of their TMI experience. It's something that they, they get to invite their, their parents, their aunts, their uncles, their grandparents to come to and hear them give this talk. It's a, it's a celebration of who that student is becoming and where they're at at this point in their life. Um, and it gives each and every one of our seniors an opportunity to really feel seen and feel heard and feel cherished by our entire uh, TMI community. One of our former uh, English teachers, uh, Rita Stanley, 
I uh, talked about the senior Chapatalk program and all and called it the ethical valedictorian speech for each and every senior. And uh, for those of us who've been at other graduations, you know that at other schools, uh, they only have one valedictorian with one valedictory speech and you only hear one voice. Well, here at TMI, every senior is to give their own valedictorian speech about how they've grown spiritually and ethically during their time here at TMI. And it's just an incredible celebration of who they are. Uh, the other thing that I love about the Chapel Talk program is that the Chapel Talk program is not just a solo affair. It's not like I give each senior their date in chapel and say, Haha, good luck, see you later. Um, the, the cool thing about the uh, Senior Chapel Talk program is that uh, it brings together the English faculty, it brings together the chaplain, it brings together um, uh, the Senior Chapel Talk coach. And uh, we have Chapel Talk coaches that come from every uh, department of faculty at TMI. We've even got uh, um, Chapel Talk coaches that come from the business office over in Ayers. And all of us come together to help prepare the student from the time they first get the, the idea for the Chapel Talk to the time that they deliver it and everywhere in between to help them hone it, help them practice it, help them uh, make their presentation of, of their life lesson as, 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 as compelling as it can possibly be. Like I like to say, um, it takes a village to raise a chapel talk, and that's what we do here at TMI. That is true. Of all of the chapel talks that I've been privileged to watch um, over all these years, and I see some senior parents on this call this evening, um, there's nothing like watching your own child when they give their chapel talk. And so uh, parents, just as a little uh, inside tip, uh, Father Nate does have Kleenex up at the tech booth. So when it's time for your child to give their senior talk, uh, don't worry about it. We got you covered with that. Amen. All right, Troy, I'm going to move over to you. I know as Dean of Students, um, a lot of people perceive that position is probably disciplinary only. Can you talk a little bit about the redemptive discipline here at TMI? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, before I say that, I will say that both Haley and Jacob's chapel talks were phenomenal and, and they were, they were excellent. So great job, mom. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, um, you know, it's a very common misconception that, you know, the Dean of students is the, um, you know, he's the one with the ruler with the paddle. Right. Um, and, you know, on occasion, yes, we have to do that, but you know, you have to understand at least in, in the middle school, you know, you've got kids who come in who are, you know, 11, sometimes even 10. And then by the time they graduate eighth grade, they're 14. And, you know, when you're 10 and 11, you're still a little kid. And when you're 13, 14, you're now a young adult. And so those, those waters that these kids have to navigate in middle school are just, you know, they're choppy, they're tumultuous, they're stormy. And, and that's really my job is to help them navigate that, you know, um, they're going to make mistakes. You know, it's part of growing up. Um, but I'm not there to point the finger and say, you screwed up. You owe me 10 detentions. You know, I'm me along with all the faculty, all the staff, we're the safety net. We're the ones that reach our hand down and pick them back up when they make a mistake. And the whole thing is we want them to be when they're giving their senior chapel talk. And I'll, I'll be honest, you know, some of my favorite ones, have been from kids who, who had a rough go in middle school. Um, but we want them to learn from their mistakes. You know, there's, there's no stopping making mistakes, but if you learn from it and, and you move forward in a positive direction, that's the goal. And, you know, I think anytime that I have to have a hard conversation with a kid, 
You know, I, I treat them as I would my own. And I, and I talk to them the same way I would talk to my own boys. Um, just really trying to get them to understand the, the why and the, the how and the, you know, all that stuff. And I, I apologize if you can hear my tiny one in the background, but um, you know, if they can learn from it and, and go back and reflect and it just makes them grow so much. And, you know, everybody is going to screw up, like I said, and we're there to catch them. And that's kind of what being the Dean of Students is, is picking them up when they fall and making them be the best version of themselves. Well, you're a great Dean of Students and you know, it's when you know better, you do better. And I think that holds true um, in what you and Sherry both do. And also, uh, and some of you might remember this from um, our first um, component when we did for Parent Ed on Challenged is uh, Justin Kucherovsky said, um, it's okay to fail, fail forward. And that has just really stuck with me. Um, and Troy, you know, that speaks to what, what you're doing um, in your position as well. Um, tell me a little bit about honor code in the middle school. How do you handle the honor code in middle school? Okay, well, um, you know, up to a couple of years ago, we had a middle school honor council that functioned much in the same way as it does in the high school. Um, there was a panel of five kids who were nominated by teachers and then voted on by their peers um, who would hear alleged violations to the honor code. And when we got to thinking, you know, and, and looking through the eyes, or at least trying to look through the eyes of a 11, 12, 13, 14 year old kid, you know, if you're, if you're on the honor council, that puts a ton of pressure on you to have to sit there and have people who might be your friend come and sit and tell you that they cheated on a test or that they plagiarized a paper. And so a couple of years ago, we actually um, did away with the middle school honor council. And now it's a completely teacher driven thing where if a teacher suspects something happened, they'll confront the student. And it really has built a lot of trust and relationships between the students and the kids. I'll, I'll throw out an example. Um, I think it was last year we had, uh, a young man who just totally plagiarized. I mean, straight up copy pasted off of Google, Wikipedia, something. And, you know, the teacher called him out on it. And, you know, through that, that relationship that they had going into it, the teacher comes to find out that there's a lot going on in this kid's life that is making him super stressed, not being able to, to, to get all his work done on time. You know, things maybe be a little bit rough at home, but that conversation that that student was able to have and had the trust in his teacher to say, Hey, you know, I did this, this is why, and, and I'm sorry. Right. You know, and, and my point of view is that the way we do it now is not only does it help the kids build their own accountability, but it also teaches them how to be their own advocate, which is, is a really tough thing to do sometimes, you know, a, a lot of these kids, you know, when, when something happens to them, they, they look for somebody else to, to stand up for them, but it teaches them to do it themselves. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. And, and the way it's been rolling the, the last couple of years has been absolutely phenomenal. The, the teachers have bought in, the kids buy in, and it's, it's been truly amazing to see. So when you talk about building relationships with teachers, I mean, that was a great example. Um, but how are you encouraging or helping kids to build those relationships? Oh, just to be open, you know, and I think that the teachers really do a phenomenal job and, and we're so blessed to have the people that we have teaching at TMI. And, 
you know, from day one, they say, you know, my door is open and then come see me. And these kids, these kids buy in, the teachers get to know them on a personal level. And when you get to know these kids and you build that relationship and you have those conversations, you know, it not only does it build that trust, but it also just fosters a sense of community. And it makes them know that they have a lot of people here who love them and who care and will do anything for them. Yeah, that's so great. Uh, and I love, I love the relationships that you've built um, with your middle school kids. And um, I think when, just like you said, when kids have someone that's in their corner, um, regardless of if they fail or regardless of if they make a mistake, it's, it's just, it's very, very powerful. Thank you for that. Uh, Sherry, I'm going to come to you next. So we started at TMI the same year. Your husband is an alumnus and your children attended TMI. You continue to teach AP Lit and serve as Dean of Students for the upper school. So what do you love most about the work that you do as Dean? So, you know, that's a really good question. When I was first um, approached about taking on this Dean role, I was really hesitant, uh, partly because I I'd, I'd love teaching and I didn't want to give that up. And luckily, I am still able to teach a class. But um, but as I thought through it, I thought about the things that I love about teaching I can even do more of in my role as dean. Um, I um, am able to focus on developing relationships with a large variety of students at TMI, not just my small group of AP students. And um, I also feel like I can be instrumental in really helping to provide a foundation of a supportive nurturing community for all students. You know, as we talked earlier, um, I love working with the lead with the leaders, you know, with the kids who take on leadership roles. Um, but I also really treasure the students who aren't the ones to raise their hand when a um, traditional leadership role becomes available. Um, I think each of our students has something unique to offer. They all have a, a very unique way of looking at the world and of fitting into the world. And they all belong to this community and this community belongs to them. And they deserve to be embraced for their uniqueness. So through my work as Dean, every day I have one-on-one -on -one meetings with students, with a wide variety of students. Sometimes students will come to me because they wanna do something on campus and they're really not sure how to make that happen. And I can sort of facilitate that for them. Sometimes I have students um, come with a dilemma or they come because they're in trouble, reluctantly, and they have to meet with me. And, and those are some of the relationships I treasure the most because I really get to know those students. I let them speak and have a voice, talk about what happened, why, and help guide them. And sometimes also hold them accountable, right, with consequences, uh, because we do want to want to also um, you know, as they get older in upper school, hold them accountable for what they do and understand that that everything they do has consequences that are they're wider than they think. And um, and so I love nurturing those relationships and getting to know the kids as they grow um, and become more intentional and thoughtful. Um, I sometimes students just come, I can hold space for a student just to be in my office and kind of work through stuff. So um, so basically this is like the best job because my job as Dean is to put students at the center of everything that happens, um, to meet them where they are, wherever that may be, and just to love them. I mean, it's like the best job. So, so here I am. <laughs> 
think all of us on this call who work for TMI would probably say, no, I have the best job, but that's, I, I mean, the older I get in my life, it's really wonderful that I can say that, you know, um, um, anyway, I love how you also said, um, you help kids find where they fit. I just love that. Find where you fit because everybody does fit somewhere. Um, Paul, moving over to you, the work that you do with the equity task force, talk a little bit about how that will affect, uh, our students, their experience at TMI. Yeah. Uh, to piggyback on what's been said by the group here, um, you know, is, as students go through team, uh, an education at TMI Episcopal, um, you know, part of what's happening is that they're developing their identity and, and in middle school and high school. Um, and even beyond that, we know that that's not, not always an easy process. So it certainly helps to have a, a big community of adults um, and peers, too, in line with the, the work that Sherry's been doing with uh, the different student leadership groups um, for there to be sort of an authentic sense of, of support that they feel um, and more than just sort of feeling it, that that it um, that it, it it happens even when you know you don't necessarily feel or notice it, that those structures are in place, so that each and each one of our students can have the most uh, positive experience possible, knowing that they all need different things, and um, that through you know that sort of uh, individualized or customized support, I suppose you could say, um, that they all develop a, an authentic sense of, of belonging. That's, that's very true. Um, Nate, I'm going to come over to you. So TMI is a very diverse community with people of all ages and backgrounds and even religions. So how does the chapel program include that much diversity and help everyone feel cherished and included? Yeah, I, I think that um, chapels, chapel's a lot of fun, but it's also a really big challenge, right? I mean, we have this diverse community um, and, and whenever we have chapel all together and in a non-COVID world, we'd have, you know, like 600 people in chapel at one time. And we would have people in there from, from age 11 to age 70. Um, and those people are coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, uh, from urban areas, from rural areas. We got people from every cultural background. We've got people from all kinds of different religious backgrounds. Um, you know, I have lots of friends, of course, that are Episcopal priests. And they work in parishes, and and they and their, their congregations are all Christians and all really one type of Christian. Well, not only do I have Christians, but I have every type of Christian in uh, in chapel with me: uh, Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox. Uh, but not only do I have various kinds of Christians, I have a whole swath. Of, of religious others as well. We've got Muslims, we've got Jews, we've got uh, Hindus, we've got Buddhists, we've got folks that identify as secular, all in, in one place under one roof to come together for the same chapel. Um, and, uh, and that puts a, a, quite a challenge for me, but I, I, I love that challenge because it's really an extension of Episcopal identity. It's an extension of our work with equity uh, because equity is all about diversity and inclusion, and helping people feel welcome, or helping people feel cherished, right? Um, so the, the balance that I like to try and strike in chapel, uh, I like to call it being authentically Christian, and yet genuinely inclusive. On one hand, you know, we are TMI, the Episcopal School of Texas, and we are authentically Christian. We come together, we pray in the name of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, we read Christian scriptures. Uh, we pray prayers together. We talk about the great ideas of the Christian faith, how the, how the God of love is known uniquely in the person of Jesus uh, to save and to heal the world. 
But because we follow Jesus, we try and do what Jesus did. And what Jesus did was that he radically welcomed everyone. He fed everyone. He healed everyone. He liberated everyone uh, from evil and from suffering. And then he challenged everyone that he came across to become the best version of themselves. So that's what we do here at TMI. We welcome and embrace everybody from every walk of, of life, from every uh, culture, from every background that we get. We cherish them. We love them. We care for them. Uh, we welcome them in our midst. Uh, we heal them. We feed them. Uh, and we challenge them to become the best possible self that they can, living into the fullness of who God made them to be. And that's kind of how we, how we strike that balance. Something that uh, um, I think about since you've been at TMI um, that I've been able to witness is the inclusion of middle school students coming and talking um, or coming. They've made announcements for a while, but you have really brought them in to uh, come up and read some of the scriptures. And I love when they can just barely see over the lectern and that, you know, reading scriptures, sometimes there are some really difficult words to pronounce and what just, gives my heart so much joy is when they finish and they're walking off and there's just this roar of the crowd and applause of all of the student body embracing that they were brave enough to come up, that they felt that they were um, uh, valued and included. So anyway, I, I, I just, I love that you, that you do that. So we'll switch gears here and talk a little sports. Oh, I got y'all's attention. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to go to you, Troy. So you've been a coach for a long time. So what are what is kind of the same and what is different about how you approach developing young people? That's a pretty good one, Tracy. Um, well, one thing that's different is it's a, it's a lot easier to yell at a kid on a baseball field than in a math classroom. Um, you know... The, the, the thing that's the most same, I think, is that whether it's in the classroom, whether it's as a dean of students or a coach, is you're trying to get from point A to point B with these kids, right? Um, if it's baseball, you're trying to teach them a skill, they practice and they get better, you know, they, they go back, they fail a couple times, they get better. Same thing with math, you know, same thing with, um, you know, decision making. Um, so that's kind of the same. We, we want to get them from point A to point B and, and we're there for them when they fail and we, we're there for them and pick them back up. You know, one thing that's different um, that, you know, probably makes me the most passionate about coaching is that, you know, I have about probably 50-ish kids in my math classes right now. And I'll be honest, not all of them want to do math every day. Um, but when you get out there on the baseball field, you know, you're there with kids who want to be there and who want to succeed at what you're trying to teach them. And that makes it, more fun. It makes, it gives me more drive to help them succeed. It gives me, you know, more energy to, to put into practice um, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think one thing with sports that it teaches you is that, you know, there's, there's super highs and super lows, right? There's, you know, I'll take you back two years. We won our first district championship in at least 20 years. Right. And, you know, these kids who had worked so hard and, and been there every day, the, the pure joy that was on their faces. And I'm, I'm standing there, you know, hugging Patrick Davis and we're both crying for, I don't know why, but, you know, it was just that, that moment where, you know, you're so happy for these kids, you know, you're happy for each other. 
you know, and then and fast forward two weeks later and we lose in the playoffs, right? Third round of the playoffs, farthest we've gotten in a long time. And, and you see these kids who, you know, two weeks ago were on such a high and now they're just devastated, you know, and you feel bad for them. But at the same time, you've, you've become family and, and you love them and you're able to, to kind of take that away. And, you know, some of these, these kids, you know, I feel for them last year, right. Our seniors last year, right. They didn't get to finish their senior year. And, you know, one of them, uh, Zach is I've known him since he was eight years old. You know, we coached him in select ball. He came to TMI um, and it was hard on him. And fortunately for me, and unfortunately at the same time, I went through the exact same experience. So I didn't get to finish my senior year season either. And so I knew exactly what he was feeling and, and to be able to convey that to him and, and let him know, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, this is, this is a game, right? It's the game that you get to play, you're privileged to play and, and you can forget about everything else. You know, if you, your girlfriend broke up with you two days ago, you don't have to worry about that out there, right? You don't have to worry about the math test that's, that's next week. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, that makes me love coaching so much is it's just an outlet for them to just forget about it and, and be a kid. And it's also a place where they know that they're safe and that they're loved and that we got people that want what's best for them. And I'm sure like the story about um, when you were in high school and then comparing it to Zach is that it, it makes you and, and all of us more real. Um, I was saying earlier that, you know, kids sometimes they freak out. I saw Mrs. Carter at the grocery store. Well, Mrs. Carter does have to eat or, you know, at the dry cleaners or wherever it may be. And so I think when you can share those um, real life experiences, it just helps um, our kids understand that maybe they're not the first ones. It's not the end of the world. Look at you now. Look at where you've come. So I think that's really cool. Paul, I'm going to come over to you. And I wanted to ask you a question about from your perspective, what are what do you think some of the biggest um, equity issues at TMI are? So to piggyback on something that Troy said, when you're doing pretty well, um, sometimes it's hard to get to the next level. And as Father Nate said, uh, you know, we have a very, very diverse school community. Um, if you track it against national demographics at independent schools, you know, we're actually a more diverse school than, than most of the schools that are out there. Um, and, you know, from what I can tell so far, you know, there is a, a pretty strong sense of community, but to get to the sort of next level so that all of our students are, are able to feel, uh, like I said before, a stronger sense of belonging and to really reach their potential, figuring out what that takes um, can be a little bit difficult. And of course, what I've also learned in three years of uh, being a classroom teacher is, um, and I think that this is probably even more complex today than it was in the past, but like young people live very rich inner lives. And in order for us to be able to uh, sort of address the, their socio-emotional needs in terms of really being able to help them reach their potential is a complicated thing that has individual context. So, um, you know, getting the whole community sort of on the same page to, to pay attention to students in, in that deeper kind of way um, in our busy lives and especially in this COVID era is, is a task in and of itself. So I would say that that is one of the, the larger challenges that we have is to is to learn how to, to pay deeper attention to what's going on with our students. How many years did you say you'd been teaching? 
30 years. You all even, it, all, almost all at independent schools like TMI Episcopal. You don't even look 30. So <laughs> I need your vitamins or I need to be eating what you're eating because uh, that's working for you for sure. Um, let me ask you, you said something about socio-emotional. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, it's, again, it, there's so much that goes on inside of young people, inside all of us, but young people as they're figuring out their identities. And sometimes it doesn't appear on the surface of what they're doing, right? Students that are that are doing really well academically inside could be struggling or students that appear on the outside to be very disengaged can actually be engaged in a specific kind of way. And, and if we can pay attention to that and, and draw that out of, of the students, the young person, um, then we have a better chance of helping them, um, you know, get, get beyond the stereotypes that either A, they may be putting on themselves or that other people might be putting on them. Um, you know, I, I have a few stories uh, about kids who, you know, just their heads down in class every day and they don't uh, appear engaged on the surface, um, but that if you can present material to them the right way, like you, you catch their attention, right? So you catch them out of the corner of, of your eye that they're glancing up and their posture changes a little bit, and you can tell that they're they're interested. And then just to use that as a moment to continue to sort of build. Uh, Troy was talking about this earlier, um, and Sherry as well. But to to build that rapport with the student, and on top of that, then you can help them develop their potential as a learner and in in other areas as well. Yeah, I think that's why teaching is so gratifying. Is you know, sometimes we think we don't necessarily reach those kids, but but they we do in more ways than we probably even realize so thank it, you it, just to add to that the, the, in this era it's sometimes it's it's that email that you get 10 years after the fact from the kid who you can hardly remember them and you're like oh, i remember this name and they're like dear mr or mrs so-and-so you may not know this but you know you had such a big impact on my life and thank you and, and it's so gratifying to get that but it's also 10 years after the fact <laughs> Patience is a virtue, I think. Nate, I'm going to come to you now um, for our last question. Um, as chaplain of TMI, you've seen hundreds of students grow from little sixth graders to seniors and that are ready to take on the world. So while I know spiritual and moral growth is different for, um, from everyone, what there's some common themes still so that you see in our students. What, what are some of those common themes that you see in students as they grow? So one of, one of the great pleasures of my ministry is a, being able to see kids as they come in at 11 years old and, and grow up and, and to becoming young adults at 18 and giving their chapel talk, right? And then they graduate, they walk that stage. And I've been here long enough now that I've seen some of those kids go on and do great in college and get out of college and get that first big job after college and find that person they want to spend the rest of their life with and, and even have some kids now. And it, it's just it's awesome and awe-inspiring to see that spiritual and that ethical growth over time. Um, one of the things that Paul said that really resonates with my experience is talking about the inner lives of kids as they develop that sense of self and that identity that helps them orient themselves to, to who they really have been made to be and who they're becoming. Um, and, and two of the things that, that I, um, use chapel and use my role as a religion teacher to do is to help our students with their spiritual growth and with their ethical growth. And, and I'll, uh, a lot of people think that those are the kind of the same thing, but they're a little bit different for me. So what I see in students is, is on one hand, spiritual growth. Um, and spirituality for me is the, is 
answering the why question. Why do I exist? Why am I here? Uh, um, what is my purpose in life? And spiritual growth is about grasping that big vision, that map of, of who I am and where I'm going. Um, ethical growth, on the other hand, is about developing the moral compass to follow that map, to know uh, when to turn, to turn left, to turn right, to go straight. Um, so whereas spiritual growth is about the why, ethical growth is about the how. How do I navigate my life map to become uh, who God made me to be? Um, and I see kids come in, and, and uh, as kids grow um, from age 11 to age 18, uh, there's some kind of really definite stages they go through. Uh, when they are young, uh, when they're in middle school, they often come in with kind of a conventional faith. They're their religious and their spiritual identity is very much rooted in their, their family of origin, what mom and dad have always believed, um, and that's very much who they are. And as they grow up, um, they encounter all kinds of different uh, belief systems, they encounter different religions, they encounter different ideas. And um, then, then in older adolescence, you see a lot of questioning, right? A lot of kind of deconstructing uh, the norms and the assumptions and, and asking questions about, is this right for me? Do I really believe this? Do I really own this for myself? And then finally, as you come through that, that time of questioning, you get into, into uh, young adults, and young adults really kind of rebuild and reconstitute a faith that makes sense to them. And oftentimes it's a, it's a version of the faith that they were raised with, but now they've, they've questioned it, they've looked at it, um, they've examined it, and they own it for themselves. And so this whole, whole process of, 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 um, of, of growth and identity for me is a, is a lot like a dance. And the dance basically oscillates between, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of my family and that's my identity. No, no, I'm, I'm separate from that. I'm different. I'm other. No, I'm part of it. No, I'm different from it. No, I'm... And a lot of us who've raised kids have seen this dance of, I love you, mom and dad, stay away from me. I love you, stay away from me. And so one of my great um, pleasures in life is to join our students in this dance of identity, in this dance of becoming, in this dance of figuring out who they are and who they're becoming and helping them walk that path of growth with them. Uh, Paul talked about uh, uh, sometimes the payoff for what we do doesn't come until 10 years afterwards um, and when you get that email. Well, just this last week, and this made me th think of this, I got an email, actually a Facebook, Facebook message from a, a student that graduated several years ago telling me that, that he, was, he was being baptized. And uh, that he said that part of his spiritual journey started with, uh, with uh, knowing me and knowing other Christians at TMI that represented a different form, a, a very loving form of Christianity that made him really feel included. And he's been working on that for the last several years, and now he owns that for himself. And um, my hope for all of our students would be that they would become and they would find who they are made to be and live into the fullness of that potential. Thank you for that. Well, I, I would say that um, this, if we would say that tonight was a dance, I sure had fun at this dance. Um, if you have any questions, we are, we are done um, with what we had prepared for you this evening. If you want to put anything in the chat box um, to ask a question, we certainly can do that. Um, I hope you've seen tonight how you know, we all have our ideas of what cherish means. What's the definition? What is it to us? And you see through everything that, that um, my guest said tonight is it, it takes on all different forms. And so it could be in the chapel. It could be um, 
finding where you fit in. It could be on the athletic fields, the classroom, uh, within the core and their leadership component. So Cherished has many different versions, but it goes across all of the facets um, within our community. So I, uh, I think that that is a pretty cool thing that sets TMI apart from other schools. So I am going to, <laughs> you got a shout out, Father Nate. Um, I wanted just to remind everybody that we have our last event in the three-part series that will be on December 2nd. We're going to do that one at 9 and at 6. And for that event, we're going to have our school counselor, Lisa Condry. We'll have our nurse, Stacy Smith. Troy Griffith is going to join us. He is um, a math teacher, a dorm parent, a basketball coach. And then also Sarah Murphy, who's also a dorm parent and a college counselor. And so we'll wrap up our series with known. I'm excited for you to hear what our group has to share. And an email will go out in probably just the next day or two. If you have any friends that weren't able to join us tonight, all of uh, our Parent Ed series are recorded and they are on our TMI YouTube channel. And uh, Stephanie Gish is working on a special place for Parent Ed on our TMI website. And uh, she is building that and we should have that um, as a central place for everybody to come back and and look uh, for past events that they want to watch the recording or also um, for our upcoming events. So I know y'all all either have to go make dinner or eat dinner or help with homework or maybe just go to bed. And I appreciate your time. My guests appreciate your time. Uh, TMI is the community because of the parents like you who um, are so vested in everything we do, um, even beyond your specific students. So we thank you so much. Have a good evening. I love you all and go Panthers. <laughs>